Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing the second part of It. So It was written by Stephen King and published in 1986. And the film adaptation was directed by... Andy Muschietti, and came out just last night, or at least for us, in 2019. Yep. So um, just to kind of remind everyone, we're going to be talking about the second movie, which is It Chapter 2, and we're also going to be talking about all the adult portions of It, the book. Yeah. So, which makes it very confusing for us from the book perspective, uh, since the book like splices those parts up kind of throughout like the children portions and the adult portions are mixed together. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, so we'll be talking about everything adult timeline wise in the book and also everything that has not been mentioned at all in the movies because there are other interludes and sections that, you know, haven't been mentioned at all. So we'll be addressing those as well. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to start off by making... Uh, my public apology on <laughs> something I said last episode. I said that I had heard, or at least I had heard that Pennywise or It makes an appearance in the Dark Tower series. And we saw this movie last night with our friends, Dan and Jonathan, who are huge Stephen King fans. And uh, they informed me that that is incorrect, that the Crimson King in the Dark Tower series is a totally different character from Pennywise or It. There is a character kind of like it in a way, but it's not really the same person, it seems, or the same character. So that is my apology to any Steve- <laughs> any Stephen King fans who are yelling at your phone or whatever you're listening to this on, yelling at me. But uh, yeah, so I just wanted to clear that up. Mm-hmm. And I'd also like to remind everyone that we are doing a bonus episode that will be a patron exclusive on the miniseries from the 90s of it. Yeah, so if you've seen it, the miniseries, and you're excited to hear us talk about it, then uh, head on over to Patreon if you're not a patron already and become a patron. Um, All of our patrons have access to our bonus content uh, no matter what level you contribute. So just head on over there. It's going to be exciting. This uh, it saga for us is not over. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. It will never end. (laughs) 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 it'll just keep going on and on forever every 27 years yes (laughs) but let's get into the the story yeah and so the where at the in the movie we do get like a brief flashback at the beginning to their childhood that doesn't really factor in a whole lot Mm -hmm. uh but then the next part we get to is in the I'll, i'll say the present yeah because we haven't really talked about this but the book takes place in the 50s and then the 80s. Mm-hmm. And the 80s was when the book came out. Yeah. But the movie, it's kind of funny because the past is now the 80s and yeah. the present is it's now is the actual present. Yeah. So when I say like the present storyline. It means now and the 80s. Yeah, the adult storyline. <laughs> uh, but in the present, our first little scene or experience is with the murder of Adrian. Yes. There's like this fair going on at Derry. It's like a special event. And there's this queer couple, Adrian and Don, mm-hmm. and they're kind of just hanging out, literally just living their life and um, get harassed by this group of teenagers. 
In the movie, it seems like at least some of the people in the group are not teenagers. We see, reading the book, I'm not even sure I remembered that they, I had thought they were a little older than teens, but I could be wrong about that. A couple of them, I think, were like 19 or so, but they were all pretty much teens. So they follow them to, uh, what's the bridge called? The, like the lover's... Like oh. the kissing bridge. Oh, I think kissing it's the kissing bridge. bridge. Yeah. Um, they follow them onto this bridge where they get attacked mm-hmm. and they just beat up both Adrian and his boyfriend. And then Adrian, they throw over the side of the bridge and down into the water. Yeah. And Don goes after him. And then you see Pennywise. Yes. In the river. And Pennywise is grateful enough to help Adrian out of the water where he then just like bites into his armpit. Oh, that was so gross. It was. It was really very dark and twisted to see. Yeah. But the book set up for this whole situation is really interesting because it's different perspectives. It's the police and the detectives kind of interrogating the teens that did this, getting Mm -hmm. confessions out of them. While also addressing this whole like clown thing that has been brought up that uh, Don, is it? Yeah. That Don mentioned seeing and one of the other kids I think mentioned. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of trying to just like sort out. So it's almost like this police procedural kind of little segment in the Mm -hmm. story that's interesting. And the police decide that in order to actually bring these um, terrible people to justice that did this to Adrian, they have to just pretend this clown part doesn't exist in the narrative. Yeah. And it also goes back to the idea that Derry pretends that none of this weird shit happens. Yeah. So they're like, oh, if we just focus on the fact that these three men um, killed this queer person, then we can convict them and get them in jail and like forget all that weird shit. Yeah. And something else this little segment touches on that I I really like was Don has a memory of all this like homophobic graffiti. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Don who is saying like, this is like, it's not just homophobic. It's like really twisted. It's yeah. like the things it's saying are extremely violent and like dark. And he was saying he like hadn't seen anything like that anywhere else. And it kind of continues this idea that Derry is sick, is sick. Yeah. Like I think at one point in the story, someone says there's something in the water. Yeah. And it kind of amplifies people's aggressions and their angers and their Uh, prejudices Mm -hmm. and I kind of like that because even later in the autopsy and stuff they look at like the wounds on Adrian and I think they determine like oh yeah it's all knife wounds relate like that connect to one of the knives the kids had Mm -hmm. so almost the implication that like Pennywise never bit him or attacked him but it was like all uh, just the teens doing. Yeah. And kind of the idea that Pennywise is just the inherent violence of the town. Mm-hmm. And I really liked this concept in the book. I like it, but I also have issues with it mm-hmm. because it implies that, yeah, people are evil, but like not that bad. Mm. And that if they didn't have this influence, the town would be better. But mm. I feel like historically we see these things that happen. And honestly, this was an actual incident that happened in Bangor, Maine. Um, In the last episode, we talked about how Stephen King based uh, the town of Derry on the town of Bangor, Maine, where he lived and still lives. He has a house there. But this was an actual incident that happened in Bangor where a queer person was killed by being uh, beaten the shit out of and then thrown off a bridge. 
And there's actually a memorial there now. And so I feel like taking an incident that happened and things that happen every day to people who identify as queer, African-Americans, you know, all these like marginalized communities and then kind of give it like, oh, it's because of this clown Mm. is like taking away from the fact that this shit happens and it did happen. That's fair. I guess it depends on how you want to interpret it, because I know or at least I've heard a lot of people say that like dairy is supposed to be kind of this metaphorical, like just America in general. Yeah. And so it kind of depends if you want to be like, oh, America is sick in general Mm -hmm. from these like thoughts and like kind of the chicken and the egg. Is it Pennywise that's doing it or are they feeding into Pennywise Mm -hmm. or there's some different ways you could. But I, I get why that seeing it that way it does make it a little more problematic that it's like, oh, everyone's racist and homophobic just because they're like possessed by this evil spirit. So. Yeah. Or like people are shitty, but like they wouldn't go that far normally. Yeah. And the clown pushes them to do it. It's like, no, this was something that actually happened. That's true. That's fair that people went to that extent in real life yeah. without a demonic clown. <laughs> helping them (laughs) yeah people don't need help they're shitty already that's very true yeah (laughs) so this is kind of uh the first reappearance of pennywise in the present in the present Mm -hmm. yeah and this prompts mike this and a few other killings that happen Mm -hmm. mike who stayed behind in Derry, is kind of keeping track of everything yeah and he talks about how no one All the other losers gang people, they don't remember their past anymore. Yeah. And they've gone on to lead these very successful and like profitable lives. And Mike has kind of been stuck in dairy and all remembers everything. And so he finally decides that he has to call them because the vow they made 27 years ago is coming to fruition where they need to kill it again. Yeah. And so thus Mike begins his series of phone calls yes and it's interesting because this portion of the book it's like in 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 actual order of the book it goes georgie's death in the past then adrian's death in the present then mike makes these calls to everyone in the present and so we're actually introduced to all of the losers club characters as as adults adults first Mm -hmm. and then we see them in the past and how their childhood kind of informed who they are and kind of trying to piece together seeing who they are as adults, like what happened to them as kids. Yeah. So there's a really interesting perspective in the book relating to this Mm -hmm. and how we're introduced to them. And we're going to talk about them probably in neither the book or movie order. No, we just decided on our own order. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do need to talk about, though, in the book, the first person that Mike calls is Stan. Yeah. And we find out that Stan is Jewish and um, has faced prejudice in his past. And then when he gets this phone call from Mike, and this is told from his wife's perspective. Yeah. So we don't really get what is going through Stan's head. But basically, Stan kills himself. He slits his wrists in the bathtub and like writes in blood the word it on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I had big problems with this. Me too. And... I think I get what Stephen King wanted to do with this because as the other Loser Club members get calls, they all have these really extreme like panic attacks in relation to the news that they have to go back. And yeah. so I think he wanted to they're remembering everything. Again. Yes. So I think he wanted to establish the severity of this 
and not just be like they're not just like overreacting like this is a deep-seated like traumatic thing that's connecting with them yeah and i get it in that way but the problem is that first of all this is like the third portion in a row where we're introduced to a character who immediately dies yeah it was a lot for me when i first started reading this book and the scene where Stan kills himself was very upsetting for me. It's very real. It's yeah, it just feels really awful and upsetting. And I was just I was very affected by it. Yeah. I, I kind of felt the same way. Cause like from the wife's perspective, her noticing Stan's been upstairs a while and yeah, like going to check on the bathroom him. Is locked and, yeah, and yeah. just that like panic you could imagine. It's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. And I think like I said, first you get Georgie's death, then you get Adrian's death, and now you get Stan, and he's dead. And it's like, can we be introduced to a character who's not going to immediately die? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, so that gets a little tiring. And that's our first introduction to Stan. Yes. And it's from, not his perspective, from his wife's perspective. And then when we flash back to the childhood, we already know that Stan is going to die. So every interaction that we have with Stan in the childhood portions is like tinged with the fact that, oh, he's going to like kill himself before any of like the second act really happens. Yeah. And so I, it makes him feel like a less important character. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a problem because like just because someone dies, especially in 27 years, doesn't mean like their life and story don't matter. But it kind of feels like Stephen King feels that way. Yeah. Because Stan gets a noticeably lesser arc slash character development yeah like and i do like his character he's kind of an interesting character as a child when we get to know him more yeah but there's very little time spent on him and it feels like king is like okay he's gonna die so he doesn't yeah just so we're not gonna really stands over he's here. not in the future storyline so we're not gonna spend too much time on him whereas in the movie we don't know that stan kills himself until the second movie. Yeah. So we have time to get to know Stan, to care about him, to care about his arc, and it doesn't color all our interactions with him. Yeah, and, and the movie, I think, does pay a little more reverence to his death. Yes. In a few different ways, which we'll get to, but mm-hmm. yeah, so kind of, I didn't love the order of the calls. Because really, I mean, it didn't matter. Stan could have been saved until the end. That could have been like yeah. the, the horrific period at the end of this series of calls yeah uh let's talk about richie yes richie in the book is a radio dj yeah and he uses his voices on the radio his wacky voices putting them to good use and when he gets the phone call from mike he throws up (laughs) (laughs) and i loved it was very funny in a way in the book and then also really well done in the movie because that it just immediately cuts to like Bill Hader running out into an alley and and, just vomiting. And like we get this like upward shot of him vomiting down like at the (laughs) camera. So it's like really funny. Yeah. In the movie, he's a stand up comedian. But that's relatively it for Richie. Um, Eddie. Yes. In the book, he is a limo driver. Yep. And he is married to a fat wife, which we are told endlessly about in the book. Oh, my God. This part of the book was so... This is a part I listened to also. Ugh. And I do have to say, the guy who read the audiobook did a fantastic job because he has to do so many characters and he has to do like Richie doing different characters. Yeah. And so like he has to be he's very versatile. And in this scene that he's reading, he's reading Eddie's wife's part because 
Eddie's trying, Eddie's leaving. He's packing for dairy. He has yeah. to go. And his wife doesn't understand. And she's upset. And she's like asking what's wrong. Where mm-hmm. is he going? Kind of freaking out. Yeah. And the voice, I think it would have been annoying reading it regardless. But the voice the audiobook reader gave her was just so much, especially just She's so exasperated and like, Eddie, where are you going? Eddie, please don't. Oh, God, oh God Eddie. Yeah, please stop. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that for like a half hour. Oh, my God. And it's so draining. <laughs> yeah. And like we're shown that like Eddie basically married his mom, who mm-hmm. is also like overweight and kind of like controlling. His wife is less controlling and more just kind of like smothering, I think. But it's sort of I don't know. I just don't like the way that fatness yeah. And being overweight is handled a lot of times in the book. It's, I think it's handled well in Ben's perspective in the way that like you're getting his perspective on it and feeling the, uh, how like, he's bullied, how he's bullied, yeah. the shame that people give him over it. So you, you feel that for him. Yeah. But a lot of, and specifically like the female characters in it, like Eddie's mom and his wife. Yeah. It's kind of another perspective on them and being very judgmental and critical of them for being overweight. Yeah. And they're almost portrayed as like monstrous. Yeah. Or like, um, disgusting. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And so it just kind of gets a little bit, a little bit tiring and a little bit like, why do, why does this have to be depicted in this way? Yeah. In the movie, Eddie is a risk analyst, which I, I like better. Yeah. Because I don't know where Limo Driver came from. It, it's fine. Like, Because Eddie has that compass inside his head and he can drive anywhere and he knows where he is. That's true, except that he lost the compass <laughs> after killing it. So It came back. Okay. <laughs> I'll buy that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just got to say, like, the adult actor that they got for to play Eddie. Yeah. Like really like looked like young Eddie and also like channeled his energy so well. He did a great job. And I, I remember looking him up on IMDb cause I didn't recognize him and I mm-hmm. didn't really know him from anything. So I was a little worried him and Ben, I specifically didn't know who they were as actors, Yeah, but the guy who played Eddie did an awesome job. He was he so was, good. He was really funny. Mm-hmm. He was really, like you said, channeled, it felt like all these adult actors channeled their the child actors very well. Oh, yeah. And he had, like, Eddie's nervous, like, talking a mile minute uh-huh. hypochondriac energy. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Um, ben. Yep. <laughs> Ben's an architect. Ben is an architect, and he's not fat anymore, and that's basically it. <laughs> he's got lean cut abs. And the book scene I did like. It's told from the perspective of a bartender yeah. who just works at this, like, small-town bar that Ben goes to. And even though Ben is, like, this rich, wealthy architect, he lives, like, in a small town in the in the Middle West. Middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's just, like, drinking, like, a whole bottle of whiskey, mm-hmm. basically. And the guy's, like, really worried about him. And yeah. he's, like, concerned. I don't feel like this really shows us anything about Ben's personal life, though. I agree, though. Not, it's like, yeah. oh, he's an architect. He's successful. He seems lonely. He's lo- yeah. That's it. He was lonely as a kid, and he's still lonely now. Yeah. And it's like, does he have a drinking problem? I don't <laughs> know if that if we're supposed. I don't to- think so. I don't think so either. But yeah, I think it's just the reaction to the phone call. I I that's how I took it. But yeah, we just don't get a lot of adult Ben's 
personality, I don't think. No. And it's a sharp contrast to his younger self because mm-hmm. we learn so much about him and we care so much about him and he's such an interesting and empathetic character. And then for the adult version of him to just be like, yeah, I wear like cowboy boots now. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's his personality. Yeah, I do want to say though, I th- I felt more connected to the adult version of Ben in the movie, I yeah, think. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. He did. He kind of brought that quiet... That quietness. Like, kind of tender, mm-hmm. like, quality of Ben. Just, like... In, in his, his, like, looks. In, yeah, in his looks, in his presence. And that's something that, like, sometimes you can get better from a movie. Yeah, it comes across a little easier. Yeah, because he can just kind of, like, exist in the frame. Mm-hmm. And you notice him, but... Like, whereas in a book, you have to, like, specifically write, like, this is how he was feeling. This is what he was saying. Like, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in a movie, he could just kind of be a presence. And I think the actor does that very well with Ben's character. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Bill? Bill. Big Big Bill. Bill. Although, (laughs) (laughs) um, James McAvoy is very short. Yes. And also, he is not balding. He's not. In the book, Eddie is supposed to be, like, kind of... Bill. Or, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, In the book... Uh, Bill is supposed to be balding and a little fat. A little fat, yeah. <laughs> Instead, we get handsome James McAvoy. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, Bill is a writer. Yeah. And when we uh, catch up with him in the present, he is writing a screenplay for a movie. Yes. Or he's working on a movie. And he's married to an actress. Her name's Audra. And she's going to be in this movie. Yeah. And he's, Bill's definitely a stand-in for Stephen King, kind oh, of. Oh, yeah. He's a horror novelist. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of an interesting thing in the movie where there's this kind of recurring almost joke where people keep saying he can't write endings. Yeah. And reading it or seeing the movie, I was like, is this supposed to be like a commentary on Stephen King? Because I've never heard that before. Or I've felt never it. heard that either. But we watched the movie with John last night and he does. He did say that like a lot of people criticize Stephen King for not being able to write endings, huh? which is something I've never heard about him critically yeah i don't i've never got that impression but of all the things that you can criticize Stephen i know King there's for, plenty of others <laughs> he gives us a lot of material to talk about exactly i don't think the endings are the worst part <laughs> no we don't we don't need to discuss it no but bill is married to a hot wife yes and he gets this call and something we haven't mentioned but they all have these scars on their palms from yeah. when they made the pact mm-hmm. and they're, they formed again. They like appeared. They disappeared at some, at some point. Yeah. They just like faded away and then they reappear on their hands, which I, I really like. Mm-hmm. And just something in general about these calls. I really like the, I don't know, like the almost magical quality of them where there's this fate that like they get that call and they have to do it. Yeah. They're like, and, and I mean, they made a blood pact. They did. And it's like taken very seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's almost a, a pull and a draw for them. Like they have to go back to Derry. And all of a sudden they're starting to remember things and realizing that they forgot in the first place because they yeah. didn't even remember that they forgot it. And this is like a great I love the way it talks about this blood pact. Like it's the thing that like starts the book. Yeah. And also because the children's timeline goes along 
the length of the entire book that the, the book also ends with the blood pact. Yeah. So it's kind of this nice cyclical mm-hmm. thing in the story, in the book anyway, where it, yeah, it begins it and ends with that. That's why the like sex in the sewers makes no sense. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no one's like dick starts throbbing when they get this call. No. Like, their hands hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about Bev. So Bev gets the phone call and she is this like fashion designer and she's married to an abusive asshole. So much like Eddie married his mother, uh, Bev seems to have married her father because her father abused her um, as a child. And now she's married to a man who uh, emotionally, verbally and physically assaults her pretty much on a daily basis. Yeah. And this is there's a couple things worth mentioning here. <laughs> um <laughs> I'd say the first thing is that this is a great example of how unbalanced the trauma of the characters is. Yes. I want to say in the movie it feels a little more balanced in a couple ways. Yeah. But in the book it feels insanely unbalanced. Specifically, like, if you compare Richie and her. Yeah. Like, in her childhood, she had, like, a terribly abusive uh, father who like tried to kill her tried to kill her and made her live in fear mm-hmm. Richie had to wear glasses I know <laughs> and then as adults yeah Richie has to wear contacts now because he <laughs> hates wearing his glasses like that's yeah. his like biggest thing as an adult and Beverly is like a prisoner in her own home yeah and it's like we all have our shit that we carry from childhood yeah and, and you're like, like um but not equally at all no and Again, I talked about this in the last episode. When you only have one woman, mm-hmm. it's the Smurfette principle. This, the woman has to like become the embodiment of like everything that is woman. And she has to represent all of womanhood. And then when you're like, okay, and also she's in this like super horrifying and toxic relationship that is so abusive and so terrible. And she lives in fear every single day. It's sort of like you're saying that like, I mean, he's not saying this, but it implies that, like, oh, this is just because she's a woman? Yeah, no. And if there was another female character who had a different arc, it would feel less heavy. Yeah. And my other issue is that it kind of really takes away from any development that Bev gets as a child. Yeah. Because, like, she kind of overcomes, like, her father being abusive and, like, and kills him. Yeah. But... So when we cut back to her as an adult and she's living in an abusive relationship again, like I get that this can happen and that her like, quote unquote, overcoming her, her father as a child isn't just something that's like, you know, you clean your hands of and it's out of your life. I get that. But also it does have a certain like melancholy vibe to it that it's like, oh, God. You know, is she just. Yeah. And and being like, you know, women can't escape those like abusive relationships and they'll just stay in them. And you're like, ugh. yeah, like I know it happens. But also when it's the only woman, it seems like you're making a statement about women in general. Yeah. And and for me, it just it takes away a lot of. Any development that they get as children, because like even Eddie. Yeah. Eddie has a part in the children's portion where he like realizes his, his medication is like a placebo that he doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. But then as an adult, he still has this like uh, obsession with medication and asthma. And he's married someone that's similar to his mother. Yeah. And it's just like, God, like it's just a very downer message that like, we'll never escape these things. Yeah. 
And I think it's just the storytelling method of it where when you know that's where they're going to end up as children, it kind of makes everything they do as children feel a little bit pointless. Yeah, it's the same with Stan. Like, yeah. we know he's going to die, so... Cause, because he's afraid. Yeah. And so it's like him conquering any fears as a kid is like... Well... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's a lot to kind of, like, process with this timeline and them returning to who they are. And Yeah. Uh... Bev beats the shit out of her husband. Oh my god! It was, but he also beats the shit out of her. They kind of yeah. like wail on each other a lot. Um, but she's able to escape. Mm-hmm. And she she takes off for Derry. Mm-hmm. And so we get all the characters coming together in Derry. We in the book we get sections of them traveling, and this is kind of how King works in the childhood portions to the adult portions. Yeah, you'll get a character traveling like by plane or car. And they start thinking about Derry and things remembering, of, remembering. and then he kind of I love the way he'll end in a sentence abruptly mm-hmm. as an adult. And then the next chapter that's them as a kid, he picks it up. Yeah. Kind of right where he left off. Mm-hmm. But now it's like in the past. Yeah. It's a very almost cinematic way of these of transitioning between these portions of time. Yeah. Uh, but we do get a lot of that. That's kind of how it's all stitched together in the book, mostly. Which made it very confusing for us to try and separate them. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to carve it up to talk about in a way that made sense. Yeah. They all get together. Yeah. They, they get together at Jade of the Orient. A Chinese restaurant in Derry. And when they first get together in both the book and the movie, they're all kind of like remembering the good times. They're being like, oh, my God, Ben, you're not fat. And then being like, (laughs) what are you up to? Oh, I do this now or I'm doing this thing. And they're like, no way. You suck. (laughs) Just kind of like ragging on each other and like remembering the good times and like having a a fun time. Yeah. I like this scene quite a bit in, in the movie. Yeah. The book, we get like different stories from the different characters and most. About their lives. Yeah, and most of them add up to nothing. We get a story of Ben and how he lost his weight, which is a little interesting. We get a story of Richie and his vasectomy. Yeah. That basically means nothing, but we do find out that none of them grew up to have kids. Yeah. And it's kind of like, are they cursed? Mm. Or what? Did something happen with, like, Pennywise that, like, made them all... Infertile. Infertile. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of never totally addressed, but because they do talk about some of the characters tried to have kids, Mm -hmm. but couldn't. So, yeah, then things start to get things get dark. Mm -hmm. They start remembering the trauma of their past as well as the good times together. And Mike sort of starts leading them down this path of like, uh, I brought you here because of this and Mm -hmm. this. And he talks about Pennywise and talks about that the murders are happening again. Yeah, I liked this portion a lot in the book, just him going over these murders and how they were happening. Yeah. It was very creepy and unsettling. And then in the movie, it's mostly just them remembering Pennywise and being like, Jesus Christ, we completely forgot. And Mike's like, I haven't. (laughs) Yeah, I had to stay here and I remember all of it. There's this very creepy scene in both the book and movie where they get their fortune cookies. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they start like moving. And like hatching monsters Ugh. and creepy things. I was shocked that the movie stuck so closely to the book on this. Yeah. Because it's so weird and odd. Over the top. Yeah. But it kind of worked. Yeah. Surprisingly. Mm-hmm. I would love to watch it again because I think there there are there's, there's definitely a few allusions to the book. Yeah. One being the eyeball, mm-hmm. the tentacle eyeball 
in the movie is is a reference to the book that yeah. was never made. And I want to say the bird mm-hmm. monster was also in one of the cookies. I think so. It was like a baby bird, though. Yeah. So it was kind of hard to tell. But I think that was all supposed to be a reference. Mm-hmm. But they're all freaking out. There's floating heads in the in the aquarium. Oh, my and God. Mike starts smashing the table. I love he's like, they're not real. And he just starts smashing the table with a chair. Oh, my God. I'm like, is this accomplishing anything? <laughs> Uh, but then they get kicked out finally because they've been so loud for so long in this restaurant. I'm like, has no one heard them? Yeah. It's interesting because in the book, um, after Mike has like talked to them about what's happened and how they need to try to fight it again because they made that vow, um, Bill sort of takes over and is like, yep, we got to fight it. Let's take a vote. And they all vote to stay and fight. Yeah, very unanimously. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, I think, goes along with the idea of this greater power yeah. guiding them. And it kind of conveniently just like pushes them in the right direction all the time where they're yeah. like, it's just fate. We kind of just got to do this. Yes, they've been chosen. Yeah, which I like the movie kind of drops a little bit more. Yeah. So, but essentially after all this shit goes down, now they finally... Uh, I think Bev tries calling Stan because he never showed up. Yeah. And this is where they find out that Stan killed himself. Mm-hmm. And in the book, Mike already knew that Stan died and mm-hmm. he tells them all um, that Stan died. But it's interesting because um, we talked about that whole like being united and feeling chosen in the book. The movie takes the opposite approach, whereas in the first movie, we have this whole incident where they like all split up. Yeah. And they have a fight and like they're not united. And then the same thing kind of happens in the second movie where both Eddie and Richie are like, uh, fuck this. Like, let's go. And yeah. they, they want to leave. Exactly. And so they take off. And I think Bev and Ben also take off. And yeah. Bill's like about to go. And Mike is like, let me show you something before you leave. Yeah. To try to convince you. And this is where we kind of get a whole section of the movie that is that is new, that isn't in the book. Yeah. So we're just going to talk about the movie for a while. Yeah. So they go back to... Uh, Mike's place mm-hmm. above the library and Mike gives him a glass of water <laughs> and shows him this like Indian artifact yeah. this like leather box thing. it looks like a lampshade yeah it kind of <laughs> kind of does uh, looks like a lampshade and Bill kind of sees like the inscriptions on it moving and is kind of getting freaked out yeah and this is where we get to a part in the movie that I'm like why yeah, it why? Is it's 2019. Can we stop it? But basically, Mike is like, "Yes, I went to the elders of the Native Americans who live outside of Derry, and they've been here for thousands of years, and they passed ancient knowledge down to me, and they got me high in like a smoke lodge or something, and yeah. I saw visions, and I drugged you too, Bill, and it's just like." You can have spiritualism and mysticism and ritual and this connection to like uh, an ancient past without commandeering another culture Mm -hmm. to serve the narrative of like white people. Yes. And I actually think the book did a decent job of that with the smoke hole ceremony. Because it's like something they read about. But there's no like actual Native American like imagery or like ghosts or anything. No. And it's almost like the idea that it worked just because 
that's what like the greater powers wanted to. Yeah. So I think Stephen King actually handled that pretty well in the book. Yeah. But in the movie, it's we get these weird scenes, these trippy scenes of like uh, the indigenous people he goes to and them looking all creepy and magical. And and also Mike said he stole this from them. Yeah. And I'm like, um... Haven't Native Americans had enough stolen from them? (laughs) Yeah. And the fact that Mike is black does not make a difference because, like, he's still using their culture to, like, further this narrative where they have no part in the story at all. Also, there's that part later in the movie with, like, the tomahawk. Oh, yeah. Is that supposed to, like, mean something? I have no idea. It's just, like, a lot of, like, Native American imagery kind of being used but i don't know why <laughs> i know um yeah so he now has drugged bill so he's tripping balls yeah <laughs> so that he can see what uh the vision m- what mike had seen the vision which was what it's kind of the same thing of the smoke hole like you kind of see how it Oh, okay. So like it came down, but he was really showing him the ritual of Chud. Yeah. Or Chud, however you want to pronounce it. Um, which is what Mike has found out is the only way to defeat it. Yeah. And it's this ritual where they basically trap him in this box that he stole. Yeah. And I guess this is enough for Bill to like convince him that they either can kill him or it's worth trying to kill him. Yeah. Uh or maybe he's just still high off his ass and is like, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure, let's, let's do, do it. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, back to Bev and Ben. Bev kind of says that she saw Stan's death. And we find out because Bev was kind of, she saw the deadlights, mm-hmm. as they refer to them, which in the first movie, um, Pennywise opens its mouth and there's these like three circling lights yeah. that are inside. And she gets kind of hypnotized by them. And they do save her. But I think it's implied that because she saw the deadlights that she has been changed. And she says that not only did she see Stan's death, but she's seen them all die as well. Yeah. And this part gets very vague. Yeah. And I was kind of annoyed by this. But like, basically, she says, if we don't kill it, we're all going to die. Yeah. But it's kind of not super clear how or why. Yeah. Like, I took it as they would all end up killing themselves like Stan did, but she just says they'll die in horrible ways. Yeah. So it's just not clear. No, and it's sort of more of a way for them to uh, get the group kind of back on board. Yeah. Because um, they're a little more fractured in the movie. Um, In the book, they're kind of all agreeing that they have to kill it. And in the movie... Richie and Eddie are very hesitant. So this is sort of like, well, if we don't kill it, then you'll all die. Exactly. So <laughs> uh, they make a trip back to their old clubhouse. Yeah. And we get to see the underground clubhouse. We do. I thought, I thought this was cool to yeah. like kind of reintroduce this idea. Mm-hmm. And as they're finding it, we transition into a flashback of them as children. Yeah, just like fucking with each other in the clubhouse mm-hmm. and Richie and Eddie like being shits to each other. <laughs> I love it. They're noticeably older. Yeah. Which at this point, I was like, well, I think this takes place after everything happened. So that's yeah. fine. But we do get new scenes that take place during the first movie, too. Mm-hmm. So the age difference might bother some people. I think it was more apparent because we had just watched it, Maybe. chapter one. And you can tell that um, the guy who plays Richie is taller 
And the actor who plays Eddie's voice has dropped significantly. Eddie's voice was the biggest thing that I could point out that I could like feel like, yeah, his voice isn't quite as high as it was Mm -hmm. when the first movie came out. Yeah. So and and we get a moment where Stan kind of asks if he thinks they'll all be friends in the future. And it's kind of this sweet, sad, poignant moment Mm -hmm. for them in the group. Uh, I think the way this movie handles flashbacks is a little hit and miss Mm. in terms of transitions. Yeah. Because sometimes we get these like really fluid transitions where suddenly like an adult walks past screen and then like a kid walks past screen and suddenly it's like the kid version uh, where it's very seamless. Yeah. But we also get a lot of flashbacks that are like these like rays of light kind of like boom, like kind of like (laughs) fill the screen and then it's the past. And it's like very jarring and not, edited in a way that like really like some of them feel so intentional yeah and well transitioned like i think the clubhouse one did it first like oh yeah when they go down and like into the clubhouse then picking up the ball and like some things like that were really well done mm-hmm. but then other ones feel like eh, we want to insert this here let's just have a big like boom of light <laughs> and then it'll be the past a boom of light boom. <laughs> <laughs> but i did like this like we said earlier, they kind of honor Stan a lot in this movie. Yeah. And kind of remember him in this positive way, which is good. And I liked it. And Mike kind of says, we found Stan's artifact. And now you all have to find an artifact from your past. So everyone split up and go on your own separate adventures and find like a piece of your past that will need to do like the ritual later. Yeah. And the movie's at least kind of smart about this where yeah. they use the ritual as kind of an excuse. Mike is just like, it's important that we all do this separately. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why, but it just is. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the book, Mike is like, I think we should all split up and I don't know why. There's no, And he's <laughs> basically like, you haven't remembered all your memories yet. So if you just like mill around the town, you'll probably remember stuff, but also you may die. Uh, So good luck. And I just want to say, since Ian and I have read The Hate You Give, it has been stated in The Hate You Give that splitting up is a white people thing to do. (laughs) And the fact that Stephen King made Mike the only black character suggests that they split up is such an indication that a white person wrote this for a black character. A black person (laughs) would never be like, let's all split up. (laughs) To be fair, though. Mike doesn't go anywhere. He's just like, yeah, I'm gonna go back to the library. But he's also by himself, though. <laughs> That's true. And that so. does end up like biting him in the ass. So I that is fair. <laughs> <laughs> Based on our evidence from the hate you give. I agree. I, yeah. And and in the movie, I think it's um Eddie who's like, I mean, statistically speaking, us splitting apart is really dumb. Yeah, so exactly. They kind of like make fun of that a little bit, I think. <laughs> uh, but they still do it. They all split up. Yes. And we get. The series of vignettes. But before we talk about this adventure, um, let's talk a little bit about the interludes in the book. Yes. Oh, the interludes. Yes. Yes. Um, These were actually a really cool part of the book. I loved these. Um, It's interesting because it would, you know, be in the present and then it would flash back to the past in the childhood. And then there would be these dairy interludes. And these were basically, we find out that Mike in the time before he like actually contacts the rest of the losers and has them come back to Derry, he's kind of like writing a history of the town. And he interviews like a lot of 
older people that live in Derry. He, you know, he's a librarian, so he's doing a lot of research, which I mm. appreciate. <laughs> um, but he's kind of like obsessed with the town's dark history. And we get a couple different episodes where we find out that uh, shit went down in the past. Yes. And these were just so interesting. Honestly, the Adrian part at the beginning is kind of an interlude. Yeah. Uh, one of them that I think we mentioned last episode is the the fire at the black spot. Yes. Which was this great, interesting story about um, this unit of black uh, military men mm-hmm. who were on base near Mar- Derry. Yeah. And they weren't allowed in any of the clubs nearby. So they made their own like in this shed. Yeah. And because they... A few of them were really good uh, jazz musicians. It became like this whole spot where everyone in town went to until this faction of not the KKK, but what were they called? I um like the Legion of White Decency. Yeah, which is basically the northern version of the KKK, which was interesting to read about. Yeah, and they set fire to the black spot, mm-hmm. and because the doors opened a certain way, people were trapped inside. Yeah, it was a really exciting, interesting. Portion. And it's cool, too, because um, Mike's dad, Will, was actually there. Yeah, it's told from his perspective, which I loved. I yeah. thought him actually retelling the story. Also, you get a cameo from Dick Holleran yeah. from The Shining. He was there, too. That's he what, was. It was really cool. I was excited about that. Yeah. But, yeah, just showing, like, this darkness in dairy history, this racial violence, um, and then implying that, like, Pennywise was there in the background yeah. as well. We get another episode where this, like bank robber and his gang come to town and one person in the town finds out who they are and instead of reporting it to the police he just tells the whole town about it and the whole town like gets their guns and when those bank robbers come back to town they just shoot the shit out of them yeah like the whole town it's such an unsettling story and i love it yeah because he was like the guy telling it starts off by saying remember that home run that what's his name got like yeah. 10 years ago during that like little league game and how everyone talked about how they were there for it. Yeah. Even if they weren't, he's like, this is like the opposite of that where during this like shooting of the gang, everyone says like they weren't there. Like, but Oh, they were. I, I was out of town. I wasn't yeah. here. And like, even though photos show they were there mm-hmm. and it's just like this crazy burst of violence that like everyone was okay with Yeah, everyone in town is like i'm gonna get my gun and like murder these like bank robbers and like yeah they're criminals but like not gonna get the police mm-hmm. not gonna get the fbi just gonna like do a murder <laughs> let's let's all go do let's a murder do a murder this is actually a, an event that actually happened uh the townspeople as far as i know didn't murder them but the fbi did come to mm. banger and this is where the album oh, wow. yeah so like again check out the banger wikipedia page because there's a lot of hidden references to it that's really cool yeah there's another part where the whole backstory of it doesn't matter but like basically a crazy uh lumberjack goes yeah. into a bar a saloon a saloon and just starts murdering a table of Axing people people and it's so creepy because, like, as he's doing it, everyone pretends it's not happening. Yeah, like, the bartender, like, keeps serving him drinks and that there's other people, like, at tables that are just ignoring it. Yeah, it's... I feel like these interludes are a really great glimpse into the culture of Derry. Yeah. And the hold that Pennywise has over the town and this, like, collective amnesia where people pretend that weird shit doesn't happen Or they turn away when violence happens. So instead of like trying to help someone, they instead look away. And we see this with the kids a lot. Yeah. When they're in trouble and adults don't help them. And it's weird because I love these portions. But there is, I think, like a disconnect between 
these incidents that feel incited by the energy of Pennywise. Yeah. And then also Pennywise pretending to be movie monsters. Yes. And like <laughs> stealing and killing kids. Yeah. Because that part to me, and I think maybe that's why that part feels so unsatisfying in ways. Yeah. Is because these portions that we find out about in interludes and stuff are are, so interesting they're so interesting and i love the way like the town is almost possessed and things like that uh and people ignore stuff i love that so much that when it gets to like oh and then there's frankenstein i'm like yeah uh okay (laughs) (laughs) sure okay okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so those are they're just like great little short stories in in the book that i really love Mm mm-hmm All right, let's now go on each person's individual adventure of flashback and horror. (laughs) Which makes up like the entire middle portion of the movie. And I gotta say, in the book, I was a little sick of it. Oh, I was too. Because in the book structure, like we're in the present with the adults and then we go back, we flashback to childhood. And then we get finally to the adults getting together and talking. And then they're like, okay, now like walk around. And then it's just each character remembering things again, mm-hmm. which we already had when they were traveling. Yeah. So it just felt like the same shit over again. And I wanted to see more of them as adults interacting with each other. Yeah. They're not as interesting apart. And yeah. we already got individual scares of them as kids. Now we're getting individual scares of them as adults. And as kids again. And as kids. And I'm just like, uh, like I just, when they all split up and I realized we were going to follow each one of them again, I was just very. I know. I'm like, really? We just got them together and now nothing's going to happen again for a while. It, it was like, this was the part that was really dragging yeah, for me in the book. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It drags in the movie as well. But as someone who has experienced the drag in the book, I was like, <laughs> this is a lot less. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just like it was more fun and scary yeah. in the movie. And also factor in the fact that, like, they are also after something. They're after an artifact yeah, in a way. they have a purpose. Yeah, there, there is somewhat of a purpose of what they're doing. Let's talk first about Bev yes. going back to her dad's house. Bev goes back to her dad's house and meets this old woman who seems nice and then turns crazy. <laughs> and in the movie, she finds the poem that Ben wrote yeah. to her, which she doesn't remember that Ben wrote for her, but she just remembers the poem and she's like, this is my artifact. Um, in the book, the woman's house turns into like the candy Hansel and Gretel house. Yeah. This was like so dumb. I didn't like this at all. It was I, not scary. I didn't either. I liked it at the beginning because at first she seems like this kind of like beautiful, kind of classy older lady. Yeah. And then over the course of Bev talking to her. She like, gets creepier. Yeah. Just like these subtle changes start happening and she gets creepy. Then when it gets into the candy house portion, I'm like. All right. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we get it. The movie is a lot scarier because the woman just gets real weird and creepy. And there's this scene where she like scurries in the background and she's like naked. Yeah, that was real creepy. Yeah. And when she emerges from this dark entryway, she's like real big and creepy and I kind of wonder if it's like this is like a an allusion to it follows Mm. because there's a really scary part similar to this where like a large figure emerges from a dark doorway yeah it scared the shit out of me and it's equally scary (laughs) (laughs) but yeah this part was very very scary yeah uh Bev escapes but it is terrifying (laughs) uh then Richie yes Richie goes back to his 
old stomping grounds of the arcade. Mm-hmm. He gets a token for like one of the for Street Fighter, basically, and like use keeps that as his artifact. And we get a very interesting flashback. Yeah, a flashback that may imply that Richie is queer. Yeah. But we didn't really have any hints of this in the first movie. No. And that's my biggest problem is I do like the idea of this because I do like more representation in the group, like in the LGBTQ area uh, for one of the characters to be gay or bisexual or, you know, queer. But the fact that, one, this feels like a retcon of the first movie where this wasn't really hinted at as far as I could tell at all in the first movie. Yeah. And not only that, but they really don't stick the landing very well with it. They're very skittish about it in a way. Yeah, it's very um, just hinted at and never openly acknowledged. So Richie never has a moment where he tells his friends that he's gay. Yeah. Or even like admits it really to himself. I mean, I guess kind of admits it to himself, but it, it I don't know. It, it felt like too little for like the time that we're in right now. I agree. I'm like, if this was made in the 80s, maybe. But like yeah. now um, you can say that people are gay. Like it's allowed. <laughs> I agree. And especially the fact that like this movie starts off with like the homophobic murder yeah. of a gay man. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to have a character who's gay and like actually involved in yeah. the killing of Pennywise. And it'd be and, a like, positive thing and they not get murdered. Exactly. So <laughs> I, re- I like the sentiment. And plus it gives Richie a little bit more trauma in his life. It does. And I like that. I do too. Because Richie is, out of the book at least, and the first movie, the biggest lack of actual like... Development. Development and like shit in his past Mm -hmm. so i like that this too gives him a little bit more to pull from yeah but just it could have committed to that idea a bit more i think and bill Hader is excellent bill Hader's so good in this movie yeah he if you haven't watched barry on hbo watch (laughs) barry he has acting chops out the wazoo he is so good but I also have to give this scene credit because it made the silliest part of the book one of the scariest parts of the movie. Which involves the Paul Bunyan statue. (laughs) Coming to life. And trying to kill Richie. Because in the book, I'm just like, what the fuck is any of this? This is so silly. Yeah. This is so weird. And in the movie, it's this super startling, scary part. Yeah. Where young Richie notices the statue's just gone. Yeah. And it the camera cuts or like pans over to his side and the statue head is there and like has this teeth like deformed mouth. And I think bats fly out of his mouth as you're like, it's like a really good jump scare. Yeah. And then it starts chasing him, like Mm -hmm. swinging the ax at him. It's really good. It is good. And then it transitions to the present where Bill Hader, Richie as an adult is looking at the the Paul Bunyan statue and then like Pennywise is there. Yeah. And he and Pennywise starts kind of antagonizing him, kind of alluding to once again the fact that he's his secret. His he's closeted. Mm-hmm. And this was also a part where like he starts like everything gets colorized in a weird way. Yeah. And he's st- and uh, there's like Ri- cheerleaders in the background. Yeah. And Richie tries covering his eyes to make him go away. And when he opens them, of course, Pennywise is still there oh. and he takes off. And this was also a really creepy part because Pennywise is like screaming at him and it just holds on his face and his face just like warps very slowly and subtly in a very unsettling way. Yeah, it was 
it was scary in a completely different way that I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. Just like left you very uneasy. Yes, that sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was Richie. That was Richie. Is Eddie next? Eddie. Eddie goes to the pharmacy. (laughs) (laughs) The end. (laughs) Yeah, he like encounters the leper again. Again. Um, In the book, he goes to like this abandoned baseball field and sees like the corpse of one of the bullies that comes to life. Yeah, I think it's Belch. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and I don't know. That part was fine. It was a little scary in the book. The part of the movie was also a little lacking because it's just the leper again and his childhood scare. And by the way, I think all of these scares happen in the span of the first movie when they have the fight. Yeah. And then break apart and then mm-hmm. come back together. That's the portion of that their, we're flashing back that to. we're flashing back to. His was very convoluted with like his mother was in the basement. Yeah. And he was trying to get her out. And it seemed real, but then it like wasn't. I don't know. Yeah. Because he just kind of leaves her. Yeah. And it's like, obviously it wasn't real, but we never saw the moment that it was confirmed to not be real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so his mother, maybe that's how she died. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> when he said he's like yeah she died a couple years ago of a heart attack like maybe he was lying yeah <laughs> but um there's a gross part though where the leper like throws up on him and it's just like a bunch of like gross bloody vomit yeah and we get a really weird music like insert that's yeah. like kind of supposed to be funny but i don't know if it was <laughs> I, I didn't know. laugh at the theater because i think i was like grossed out and weirded yeah, it was out so gross uh let's go to ben ben and Ben decides to walk into a middle school. In the movie. In the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, have you ever been to a school? You cannot walk in. (laughs) Not today. And it also seemed like it was closed, which you can also not walk into a school when no one is there either. No. (laughs) Unless like Pennywise leaves it unlocked. If you find a school unlocked in Derry, like, do not go in there. Yeah. Like, Pennywise is going to get you. (laughs) Pennywise is there. And we get this, like, sad flashback where Ben... It seemed like he was talking to Bev, but then it turns into Pennywise and it's like mocking him saying like, oh, I would never be with someone like as gross and fat as you. Yeah. And then a terrible scene, which I actually closed my eyes in this part where he's hiding in his locker. Oh, no. And then the new kids on the block poster turns into Pennywise. <laughs> I was like, I know this is about to happen. And I'm like, I just can't handle it. And I closed my eyes. So yeah. And so, yeah, he takes off. But we do get a scene where he's, like, telling Pennywise, like, I have friends now, and, like, they care about me, and, like, him standing up to Pennywise. I really liked the Bev creepy scene, though, with her head on fire. Yeah. Like, that was really well done. Like, Mm -hmm. a very... Once again, the movie's taking a more creative route with the Pennywise incarnations. And making it more personal for them. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I like them. I like them a lot. Yeah. There was no present Ben scare, right? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Because in these moments, sometimes the memory's scary, sometimes the present's scary, sometimes both. Mm -hmm. Um, Bill. Bill, Bill, Bill. Bill finds a bike. Bill finds silver. Yes. In a pawn shop. And we get a great Stephen King cameo in the movie. This this part was so great. Stephen King just like really owned this cameo. (gasps) He did a great job. (laughs) I love the part where he asks him, do you want me to sign your book for you? He's like, nah. <laughs> I didn't like the ending. <laughs> uh, but he buys silver. Mm-hmm. And this was another great part where in the movie, he's like, you know, she she's fast. She can beat the devil. And then it cuts to him 
on like, this broken down bike. <laughs> like falling over it as it's like barely holding together. He goes back to the sewer where yeah, uh, the storm Georgie drain. died. Yeah. The storm drain. And can like hear something in there. And he remembers when he was a kid, like yelling at the storm drain. Yeah. And being like, I know you killed him. Being all dramatic. Yeah. And he hears something again as an adult and puts his arm in the sewer. And I'm like, this is how Georgie died. You fuck idiot (laughs) (laughs) and gets like kind of attacked but he gets out gets away uh then he encounters a kid yeah who and this is a scene also played out in the book where the kid's on a skateboard and bill doesn't realize he's a full-grown man like talking to a child like on the road and like at one point in the movie especially he gets real like amped up and is like you gotta move out of this town and And he's like shaking he's like shaking this child on the road he's like you gotta get out of here like get your parents to take you like why should this kid trust you you are so creepy i know i'm like (laughs) you're an insane person right now yeah and yeah that's kind of the calm he like meets this kid yeah that's like the most of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just makes it real that like pennywise is killing kids now just like he was back then and we also get another little adventure where we find out that Henry Bowers is not dead. He survived the sewers um, as a kid and uh, as in, in the book and movie. And now he's in a mental institution. And Pennywise is like, hey, I'm going to get you out, Henry. Yeah. <laughs> Let me help you escape. Yeah. Here's your uh, zombie buddy, Patrick, or Belch <laughs> in the book. Uh, and they're driving a car. <laughs> yep. The creepy ghost car pulls up. I mean, it's not even creepy. It's just silly. Yeah. It, like the ghost car pulls up to give him a ride. Yeah. So that he can go kill the losers. And I don't like that. The The book had a great line from Pennywise where he's like, I forget if he says they're more powerful than I thought they were. He says I can if, only hurt them if they believe. Yeah. But you can hurt them no matter whether they believe or not. Yeah. So that's kind of why he uses. Or like they can only hurt me if they believe. Yeah. Yeah. So like the idea that like uh, Henry can definitely hurt them no matter what. Yeah. So which is why he uses him. But in the movie, it's like not explained at all. Like <laughs> why he's using him. No, it could have been left out, to be honest. It, it really could have, especially because Henry in this story is the most ineffective. He's so dumb person. He accomplishes almost nothing especially in the movie. Yeah. He doesn't like do anything. Yeah. Let's talk about what Henry does in the book. Yes. So Mike is just chilling in the library, not going on any adventures. <laughs> nope. He's like, he's do, just do, like, do. I'm a do, librarian. Do, 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 do. It's all good that we all split up. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, Henry shows up and attacks him. And it's like this very violent fight. And Mike actually gets like his, like an artery in his leg cut. His femoral artery, yeah. Uh, and like he's bleeding out, but also man- manages to like really injure Henry as well. Yeah, he stabs Henry in the gut and breaks off the knife blade like in his stomach. Yeah, wasn't it like a letter opener? Yeah, it was a letter yeah. opener. So it's, it was like a cheap one. So it yeah. just like broke off. Ugh. And after this, from this point on, like Henry like escapes, he leaves. Yeah. And Mike has to call an ambulance for himself and yeah. he thinks he might die. After this, Henry is just like bleeding out and he's like, I'm still going to kill all of them. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you're going to die any second. But he because he's just like 
Yeah. Bleeding profusely from his stomach. It's super gross. Side note, uh, Bill and Bev bang in a move that is very upsetting for all of us because it really seemed like Bill and his wife, Audra, had like a good relationship. Yeah, the book did a good job of establishing their like yeah. their backstory and like them being together and they seemed like a good couple. And then he cheats on her. And it's just all for this bullshit like, oh, things from the past are happening now. So because I was bet with Bev back then, I have to be with her now. Yeah. And like for Bev, it's almost like, oh, I've been with like an abusive asshole this whole time. And now I'm finally going to have like good, like positive sex. And it was just like gross. She's like, it's the best sex I've ever had. Yeah, She's very vulnerable right now. I think honestly, having sex with someone in the position that she's in is a very bad move for her. Yeah, I I think we alluded to this, if nothing else, in the last episode where I don't think Bev's trauma is like, I think it's theoretically okay that Bev has the most traumatic backstory and present, but it's not acknowledged. It's not addressed that she is by far in the worst situation of any of them. No. And it's kind of played off in a lot of ways. This is an example of one where, like, she's been in a horrible, abusive relationship with really twisted, fucked up sex. Yeah. And now she's just like, I'm going to have sex with Bill. And, and it's it, better. And it's going to be totally healthy and fine. And I'm like, no. You would. It she's would in take, a bad place. She's in a really bad place. And it would take, like, a lot of time before you could, like, be intimate with like someone else again. Yeah. So the fact and that this is like magical sex that like cures her trauma, just like uh, she had magical sex with all of the children in the sewer and that magically helped them. It's using Bev as an instrument of like sex only. I don't know. I, I have very complicated feelings about this. Yeah. It's also at this point when she remembers that she had sex with all of them in the sewers. Yeah. <laughs> And I can only imagine what my reaction would be to this if I didn't know about this part already. Yeah. I would be like, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, this was upsetting in the book. I did not like it. No. Uh, And then Henry, as he's like bleeding out, goes up to Eddie's room, tries to kill Eddie, and Eddie kills Henry. Yeah. And that's the end of Henry. Yep. He's dead. Henry just ineffectively tried to kill two people, failed. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the end of his story. And then Tom, Beverly's husband, and Audra, Bill's wife, show up in Derry because they follow them. And then Tom just, like, kidnaps Audra. Because he's now possessed by Pennywise. I guess. (sighs) This was... So unnecessary. So, so, so unnecessary and so annoying. Um are we ready to talk about the movie now? Yeah. So in the movie, the event of Henry Bowers attacking is different. So first, Henry attacks Eddie. Yes. Eddie is trying to wash off the blood vomit from the leper. <laughs> and then Henry Bowers is just there and like stabs Eddie in the cheek. Yeah. Like he Ugh. goes into his mouth. Oh, my God. <sighs> this part was played off so weird. I know. And it was like kind of funny, but kind of so weird. Not where like. Henry's laughing and like Eddie starts laughing with this like knife in his mouth. Yeah. And he just kind of like packs up he into gets the, in the shower. tub and like closes the shower curtain and then stabs Henry in the stomach. Yeah. He takes the knife out and stabs him in the stomach with it. And then like he like, s- he like, just, like sidles like, out of the crawls room. Crawls out of the room. And he has like one of the best lines where he's like, he's like, it's been 30 fucking years. Cut off that fucking mullet already. <laughs> Yeah, but then Henry, like, just gets away. 
Uh, Bill and Bev kiss in the movie. They do not bang. And it's more seen as like them remembering what they had together. And it's a more innocent like, oh, they just kissed and it was just their memory of it. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, we can just have sex and it doesn't matter. (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, and then. Mike. Mike, yeah, is alone in the library, like, la, 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 we're, we're, we're apart and it's I'm okay. I'm shelving books. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Henry Bowers shows up. Mm-hmm. They get in a similar fight. And at this point, Richie had seemingly fled. Yeah. After, like, Fuck after his encounter with Pennywise again, he's like, I'm out. And it's yeah. a funny moment where he like sneaks out the back <laughs> and is taking off. And he has a moment where he goes to Stan's synagogue uh-huh. and kind of has a memory and it seems like he might stay. And so then cut to Mike is in this encounter with Henry Bowers. About to get stabbed in the face and uh, Richie then tomahawks, tomahawks him, him in the back of the head. Yeah. Which once again, it's like, what's this Native American imagery? Is this anything? But yeah, so now Henry Bowers is dead and... In the book, he actually, like, took Mike out of the picture for the finale. Yeah. Because Mike was bleeding out. Like, he got to the hospital and got saved, but is, like, hospitalized. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, he accomplished nothing. Yeah. Henry's just... Yeah. What was the point? I don't know. (laughs) No one knows, honestly. And then in the movie, too, Bill realizes that Pennywise is going to, like, try to kill this kid that he found on the skateboard. So he goes to the fair to try to save the kid. And then we have this whole like fun house, house of mirrors scene where I'm immediately like, this is terrible. Like, this is the worst environment for scariness because <laughs> everything is scary. It he, was upsetting. Also, that is the most like modernist house of mirrors in like a small town fair ever. It's like super stark and like creepily lit. It's very odd. But he finds the kid. And the kid, I guess, is, like, trapped in this glass portion. Yeah. And Pennywise, they're both trying to, like, break through the glass to, to get, get to him. To get the kid. And Pennywise, of course, gets through first and fucking, like, bites the kid's head off. Yeah. And I was like, what was the point of any of this? Yeah, it's just more scary scenes. I kind of thought that Pennywise was going to take the kid, mm. like, underground. To lure them. Yeah, like save he it. did with Bev. Yeah. In the first movie. I thought it was going to be that again. And would then motivate uh, Bill and them to be like, we got to go. Like, he took that kid. We can still save him. Add, like, a ticking clock element. Instead, it's like he killed the kid and Bill's like, I have to kill him now myself. Yeah. And so he takes off to handle uh, Pennywise alone. All right. So let's talk about the endings now. Yes. We're into the final act of both versions. Yeah. So let's talk about the book ending first. Yes, the book ending. Like we said, Mike is out of the picture. You mm-hmm. know, he's in the hospital. He's like almost dead. Uh, so it's only the five of them now because Stan has already died and Mike is at death's door in the hospital. Yes. So they go back to the sewers, under the sewers, back to Pennywise's That tiny door. door. <laughs> <laughs> Through the tiny door. I mean, this is very repetitive of the finale of the children's portion of the book. Yeah. Where and, and it like that's kind of the point of the book is like the f- present is imitating the past. They go back. The spiders there. Yeah. Bill is like, I'm going to psychically fight you again. Mm-hmm. Except this time Bill kind of fucks up. Yeah. And like misses, quote unquote, biting Pennywise's tongue. <laughs> yes. In the chewed chud 
ritual. Uh, ritual. So it seems like he's going to be lost. Like he's going to be lost to the the, the dark, deadlights. the deadlights. But luckily, Richie is able to like jump in, yeah. and kind of catch Pennywise off guard mm-hmm. and psychically clamp onto his tongue. Yeah, <laughs> grab Bill before he goes into the deadlights in the macroverse. It's very weird. Uh, also, the turtle's dead. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, what did the turtle even do in the first place? It was totally useless. Yeah. Fuck the turtle. Fuck the turtle. <laughs> and they pull, Richie pulls him out. Yeah. And meanwhile, Eddie, while Richie and Bill are in psychic wherever it is. Yeah. Eddie attacks the spider creature with his inhaler. Yeah. The doing acid inhaler. The acid inhaler again. And... He hurts it really badly, but also he gets his arm bitten off. Yeah. And he dies. And it's very sad. It is sad. And I was really upset about this when I read this in the book because I liked Eddie a lot. I did too. Especially like when it delved a little bit more into his relationship with his mom and Yeah. Him. And like the medicine and things like that. Yeah. So it was really upsetting to see that he died. And then Pennywise... The spider creature is like kind of falling apart, but it kind of runs away. And Bill is like, this time we can't let it get away. Like we have to finish the job. So Ben, Ben, Bill and Richie go after the spider. And Bev like stays behind with Eddie because she's like, I can't leave him. Yeah. Which is really sad. It is. So they're following it. They find eggs. Yeah. Like. And so <laughs> this part was so goofy. I know. Ben was like, you guys go on. I'm going to stomp on all these eggs. Ugh. So he just stays like, behind. They find out that it is female or at least like has the ability to reproduce. Yeah. Which is like, what does that mean? I know it's supposed to be like this monstrous revelation. And I'm like, OK, it's like a creature. So like it makes sense that it would like want to have more of it. But also it it kind of seems very selfish because we we do get some portions where we get into its perspective. Yeah. And it wants to be like the only thing in the universe. So the fact that it would even like reproduce in the first place seems odd because it seems like it wouldn't want anyone else to have as much power as it does. Yeah. So not fully explained. I think this was just like, oh, what's even more horrible than this like spider monster. Oh, it has babies. They're just setting up the sequel to it. It's like yeah. aliens. Yeah. It's, there's just going to be multiple it's. And like Ben is like, it's up to me with my cowboy boots <laughs> to uh, squish all of these like monster children. <laughs> it's just such a goofy image. Him just like walking around with like a, a match, like yeah. just stomping on all these eggs. Meanwhile, Bill and Richie pursue uh, the spider it and it's literally like falling apart and dying. And then they like smush their like bodies they're like punching it but like putting like smashing into its like flesh like grape jelly it's just like all goo and falling apart and gross uh richie gets hurt at one point bill doesn't know if he's alive but bill manages to get a hold of its heart yeah and just like squishes it squishes it and kills it just mashes it up with his hands and, and he kills it um, for good this time. Mm-hmm. And there's a brief moment where that entity beyond it and the turtle that I forget its name. Yeah. Kind of speaks to Bill for a moment and just mm-hmm. tells him like, good job. Yeah. And it's like, 
thanks. Thanks for the help. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then they all make it out of the sewer. And Richie's fine. Richie's fine. Eddie is still dead. Uh, They leave him. (laughs) Audra is there. And so like Tom kidnapped Audra, but then just died when he saw it. And then Audra is crazy now because she saw its true form. She looked into the deadlights. And so she's like catatonic. Yeah. And they just like drag her out. And they all escape. But meanwhile, all this confrontation has been having. Derry, the town, has just like fallen apart. I really loved reading this part. Me too. In the book. Yeah. Because at first it keeps it keeps cutting back to all the random things happening in the town during the storm. Yeah. And at first like, okay, what does any of this have to do with like, this is kind of boring. But then when you realize like this is like the end times for Derry. Yeah. It gets really good. And you're like, hell Yeah. This whole town needs to just, like, die. It does. (laughs) And it does. Like, a sinkhole opens up. There's this huge flood. Like, people die. Everything goes to shit. It's awesome. My favorite part is this stoner watches the standpipe, like, break off, like, the water tower and start rolling down the hill. (laughs) And he, like, thinks it's, like, special effects. Yeah. Because he's high. Yeah, because he's stoned. He keeps saying, like, Steven Spielberg, eat your heart out. (laughs) But I, that part was really funny. But also, it's just like so cinematic in a way, and yeah. so it's fitting, fitting, and like you feel like it's such a good conclusion for this massive book. Yeah, that's really a portrait of this town. It is, and to see it just like implode at the end, I think it said sixty-seven people died. Yeah, which still doesn't even seem like that many given what happens. Yeah. But it's like very cathartic. It is. It feels right. It does. Um, Audra is still catatonic and Bill like has to like save her. <laughs> I don't know. The whole like after bit with Bill and Audra was a little. Yeah. Eh. It was absurd because at one point he just like throws her in an ambulance. Yeah. And it's like, boy, I'm tired. I'm like, are you just going to leave your wife? <laughs> like he just like lets her in and he doesn't yeah. even follow the ambulance. He's like, oh man, what a crazy what time. A day. My wife is probably going to be in a dazed state for the rest of her life. And I was so upset for a bit because I thought if they don't fix her. Yeah. If her whole purpose was to follow Bill here. And then nothing. And her entire character is meant to punish Bill for his choices. I'm going to be furious because <laughs> I won't spoil Pet Cemetery, but like Pet Cemetery is also not great to its female characters in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I'm like, this just feels repetitive of that and yeah. redundant. And mm-hmm. if this is like the whole purpose of it. I will be furious. But she is able, she kind of comes back to herself. Bill puts her on the bike and they just go for a wild ride on silver. I really liked it this It was part. like capturing the magic of childhood and believing in, and kind of doing reckless things and not being afraid. And this brings her back, which is, which is nice. And it's intercut with this dream he has about like, leaving dairy and all this stuff. And I just love the way it was cut together and like kind of the message it ended on with like leaving your hometown and like forgetting yeah. about it. And we find out too, that they're all forgetting what happened to them again. Yes. And no one remembers this time. Like Mike is also forgetting as well. And they think that it's because it is gone for good now and they don't have to remember it anymore. And they scatter, um, Bev and Ben end up together, but everyone else, they forget each other. 
Yeah. And Which is sad. It is, but I there's something about the melancholiness of this that I still really liked. Mm-hmm. It's it felt fitting. And I was like, I kind of really like this still. Yeah. Um, in a way. Cause it's like, yeah, childhood you do forget a lot of it. And it is sad, but part of life. It is part of life, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a, a bittersweet ending. It is. But I, I still really liked it for the most part. Let's talk about the movie ending. The movie ending. Uh, Bill is like super pissed because he saw that kid die and he's like, I'm going. And then the rest of them are like, we did this last movie. Like, we're following you, dude. Like, <laughs> You're giving a speech on the steps again. We got this. Yeah. They go into the house on Nebolt Street again. And then we get a whole kind of like rehash of like the House of Horrors, which I felt like was a little unnecessary here. I kind of agree. Because we've already had like the fun house and all their separate episodes and like, come on, let's just get to the main confrontation. Yeah, we get a very obvious The Thing reference Yeah, with uh, Stan Urich's head growing legs and like attacking them like a spider, uh, which was a, a decent scene. But once again, like you're a little exhausted at this point. Yeah, but then they go down into the well and then into the tunnel area and they also go into the door with the symbol on it. But it's like a well this time. Yeah, it's like a vertical shaft that they kind of have to like climb. climb down. Yeah. And then they're in what looks like where the meteor hit hit that like was carrying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of this weird like crash site area. Yeah. So they get in the center of the circle. They burn their artifacts. Yeah. In this like vessel. And then they link arms link hands and chant turn light into dark. Yeah. Which I actually really love this idea of like the light being an evil thing. Me too. Because it's so counter to everything else like in fantasy and horror that like darkness is the enemy and light is good. Yeah. I like the inverse of this. That like the dead lights are evil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I really loved that. The lights come down the three lights. They go into the box. Yeah. And before... Um, Mike can put the cover on it, a balloon inflates out of it. Yeah. I loved this part so much. Mm-hmm. And how, like, he can't get it closed, and he's like, keep chanting, but, like, the balloon is expanding. And it's unsettling everyone, and they're yeah. freaking out. Yeah, and then it, like, pops. And it's just, like, it fucking with them. Yeah. Which is just so great. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. And then it. it is giant. It's, like, this little, like, not like a spider. What's the thing with, like, the claws? Like a... Like a crab? Yeah, or? kind of. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like a crab kind of monster. But so it, it is like the spider um, from the book. It's an allusion to that, at least. Yeah, but, but it's it not, still has like the clown type form as well. Yeah, which I like. I, I would rather him still be yeah. Pennywise in some way mm-hmm. than just like this weird deformed space spider (laughs) (laughs) they all get separated and then some of them go into these like separate episodes where um bill gets like put back into the basement of his house and then bev is in like the bathroom of her high school and ben is like trapped in the clubhouse and they each ben and um bev at least start to like drown or like get buried yeah, Bev is in uh, a bathroom stall like that is filling with blood. Yeah. Ben is in his clubhouse. It's being filled with dirt. Mm-hmm. And there's this great moment where like the all is lost kind of moment yeah. where Ben calls out to Bev mm-hmm. about uh, the poem. Yeah. And I really loved the visual of this scene because Bev finally kicks the stall door open. Yeah. And then it's like looking down at on ben. 
Ben. Like, it's kind of this weird spatial thing going on, but I really loved it. And yeah. she manages to pull Ben out. Mm-hmm. And they have this moment where she finally remembers that Ben was the one who wrote the poem. Yeah. And I'm like, good. Ben is such a good guy. I and know. he's single. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. He doesn't have to cheat on his wife. Exactly. To be with you. Yeah, it's a sweet moment between them. And Bill kind of has this confrontation with Georgie in the basement where he remembers the fact that, like, he pretended to be sick that day that Georgie rode, like, had the boat. Yeah. I and didn't, he felt guilty over it. I didn't like, this was another, like, retconning moment where yeah. they're kind of rewriting the first movie in a way where, oh, Bill was actually just pretending to be sick. And I'm yeah. like, did we need this? I don't think it adds I anything. Think it, he could still feel guilty over Georgie's death. I agree. Um, but he kind of deals with that. And then... Richie and Eddie are like back at those three doors from the first movie, which was like not scary, scary, very scary, which is just like kind of silly. And this like Pomeranian dog thing. I want to mention briefly Mike here because we actually find out like some truth about Mike where when the ritual doesn't work. Yeah. Mike finds like they all find out that. Mike knew it never had worked before. Yeah. And that he thought by not telling them that they would believe better. Mm -hmm. And I do, I like this kind of different take on Mike in the movie. He's kind of unhinged. He is. He's kind of crazy a little bit. Yeah. And I like that. Mm -hmm. The fact that he stayed in Derry and has kind of become obsessed with this research Mm -hmm. and taking down Pennywise. I like that this interpretation of Mike is a little crazier. Yeah. And... So I and just he's wanted- also dealing with some trauma from his parents that died in the fire as yeah. well. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I liked that aspect of it. I wanted to mention that briefly. Yeah, we have a moment where Richie tries to confront it and gets hypnotized by the deadlights. It's so creepy. It's so well done. Like mm-hmm. the sound and the look of like the way Bill Hader just goes slack and his eyes mm-hmm. go blank. I thought I loved that part. Yeah, and Eddie grabs the spike yeah. and stabs it in the mouth and thinks he killed it. Yeah. And then of course he gets stabbed by Pennywise. It's so sad. It's so sad. It was so sad that Eddie dies. I know me too. It's a really, but I do think it's a testament to the work the actors did on that character. Yeah. Because I felt it so much in the movie. I did too. And Richie is so devastated. Yeah. And he refuses to leave Eddie's side. Um, and this was so touching to me um, that Richie cares so much for Eddie. I know. And it's implied that he maybe loved him in a little bit more of a romantic way. Yeah. But it's not, you, they don't really hit you over the head with it. They're kind of like, there is that friendship between them as well. He just cares for him and he doesn't want to leave him. And it's so sad. It's really interesting because in this second movie, uh, Richie and like Bill Hader who play him are kind of the heart of the movie yeah. in a lot of ways. He's mm-hmm. really the one who carries the most like emotional yeah. impact in most ways. And also like most of the best jokes. Yeah. So like Bill Hader just really owns this movie. He does. Like everyone else does fine. James McAvoy does fine. Uh, Jessica, Jessica Chastain. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Bill Hader is just, he's a star. Yeah. Man, he's so good. And then they all decide that <laughs> the only way to defeat Pennywise is just to bully him. To verbally bully him. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, this could have worked, but the problem is, in front of Pennywise, they talk and are like, we have to make him feel small. Yeah. And he's like, 
uh, you I can, can't do that. I can hear you. Yeah. You can't do that. I'm the eater of worlds. And they're like, well, you're, you're not just a dumb clown. You suck. You're just a lame clown. And like, he's actually like impacted by this. Yeah. And I'm like, you know that. I like that this plays with belief, though. I do. I like that, too. I just think that, one, it was weird that they said their plan in front of him. Yeah. And, like, he should have known, like, they're going to just say things. Just have some self-confidence, Pennywise. I know. Don't let those verbal <laughs> insults get to you. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, it just seemed a little too easy. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't take a lot for him to, like, They start literally shrinking. shrink him down until he's, like a doll clown with like little baby hands. And he's like, it was, help me. <laughs> it was very much like baby Voldemort yes. in the last movie. Yes. I, I liked what they were. I liked what they were doing with it, but also it just looked so weird. Yeah. And all I could think about was like, this is definitely going to be a meme. Yeah. Like seeing like Pennywise's like deflated head and yeah. his little body and his just sad like baby arms. <laughs> like this is definitely going to be a meme on the internet very oh my soon. God, I hope so. Uh, like, but then they all grab his heart and between all of them, they crush it. Yeah. They just squish it up yeah. in their hands. And then the whole like sewer starts to collapse. Mm-hmm. They make a desperate escape. They have to leave Eddie. I know they have to like pull Richie away. And Rich- yeah, Richie doesn't want to go. But they managed to, they like climb out of there so quickly. I know. Like they all had like, how long was this place collapsing for? Because they had to climb up a very tall vertical shaft through the sewers, up Up the well, well. out of the house. And like they just get out in time. I know. And then like the sinkhole opens up and like swallows the house. I was a little disappointed that the whole town didn't go. I know. I kind of like on one hand. I don't think it would have been as effective in the movie because we've all mm-hmm. seen a million movies with like devastating. Yeah. Like the town destroyed. town destruction, like that kind of thing. So I don't think it would have been as cathartic as it was in the book. Yeah. But uh, I kind of agree. I wish the town had just like fallen to shit. They all go back to that like cliff overlooking the lake that they did as children and they jump in and there's this like just really sweet scene of them all kind of like comforting each other yeah um and we see like bev and ben together which is really cute yeah it's like it seems like they really love each other and like that they found each other and it's really sweet and happy and what i love about this is that it doesn't feel like ben has been pressuring bev to be with him no or that like oh you don't like me and i love you so much it's just he's like a very quiet like devotion to her yeah that is like i'm here for you and she makes a decision to like be with him and also in like the book it felt like oh and then they're just together yeah it felt like bill had a claim to her yeah and after he fucked her he's like okay ben can have her now like it really felt that way yeah in the book and in the movie it was handled much better. Yeah. Where like you kind of saw from Ben's eyes a little bit more. Yeah. And it felt just like more genuine. And and that moment where like Bev saves him. I love yeah. that she saves him. Yeah. And that was like such a good connection for them. Mm-hmm. The, movie, really the movie made a lot of good choices. They did. At the end. Yeah. That I really appreciated. And, the, and like in the lake too, they comfort Richie. And yeah. he seems to be really sad and this would have been a great moment for him to say that he was gay but he doesn't so. i know <laughs> oh well oh well <laughs> um and then we find out that they haven't forgotten anything like they do separate 
Yeah. But they still remember what happened. And Mike makes a comment. He's like, maybe it's because Pennywise is gone and maybe because we want to remember yeah. things now. Mm-hmm. Which I, even though I actually really liked that aspect of the book, yeah. I don't think, I think it would have just felt sad in the movie. Yeah. Especially because it was so emotional for them to be together. And like, yeah. it felt like they relied on each other a lot more and found comfort together. Yeah. It would have been like really devastating for me. Like, and then they never remembered each other again. <laughs> I keep wondering in the book how when they forget each other, I'm like, do Bev and Ben just Just never remember how they got together? (laughs) (laughs) They're at parties and they're like, how did you meet? And they're like, um, "Um, don't know. (laughs) Can't tell (laughs) you. Anyway, um, but then we get a note that's everyone gets from Stan that he wrote before he died. And I don't really understand this note. I don't either. I think he was implying that he knew that he was like weak and couldn't be united with them. So he made the choice to like kill himself rather than like be the person that would like fracture the group. Yeah. Like that if they were all together, he would like kind of be the downfall of them because yeah. he wasn't brave enough. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it really adds anything. No, I, I like the idea of a last message from Stan, but to be honest, it was like, and then I don't know. So much of what he talks about after that is like very kind of generic, like cheesy wrap up. Yeah, we're good. Have a good time. (laughs) Have a good summer, guys. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) have a good summer. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the uh, the very end. Yeah. Uh, And Mike finally leaves. And yep. Mike is like, I can finally leave. I can finally leave this stupid town. town. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. th- that's the end. That's the end of both versions. Wow. We did it. I, you know, when I started reading it, I never thought that it would be done. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still not because we still have to watch the miniseries. I know. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'll be free. <laughs> <laughs> that whole bonus episode is just going to be like, you, uh, it'll just be me screaming. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to be like groaning. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say. And I don't know if I talked about this as much in the last episode to kind of forget, but it really felt like an experience and an accomplishment to read this book. It did. It's the book, despite all its flaws, is so big. It's immersive. It is. And there's something to that for sure. Like you feel like you got such a picture and idea of this town. Yeah. Like the, the entire history of this town. It it's felt, like you went there yeah. and stayed there for a while and then left. It felt like no stone was left unturned. Mm-hmm. And there is something to that that is interesting and that I like a lot. Yeah. And if you're a Stephen King fan and have been wanting to read it, I definitely recommend like giving it a try yeah. and dedicating some time to it <laughs> because it will take up a lot of time. Um, and kind of consume your life a little bit. I'm glad I read it for sure. But that being said, I prefer the movies. I've been grappling with this because I think that, how do I want to put this? The book made me feel more emotional, more emotion in both directions. Yeah. It made me, there were things about it that I really, really loved that I don't think the movies could ever quite live up to yeah but also there were things that angered me beyond <laughs> comprehension that's like i said stephen king is his own worst enemy he truly is so that being said i kind of want to say i like the movies better too i don't think 
I, I don't really have an interest in going back to the book. No. I don't think I necessarily ever will. Like, I've read other big Stephen King books like The Stand. Yeah. And part of me is like, I think I could read The Stand again. Like, that was so interesting mm-hmm. that I would go back to that. But it, I just... I'm you sure, did it. It's done. Yeah. Move on. I'm sure there is more to glean from it if you went back to read it. Yeah. Um, our friend John is reading it for like the fourth time. And he says he still picks up on things. Uh-huh. So I do think there is stuff to mine from going back. But I just don't have an interest to. Yeah. Whereas I think the movie's overall do a really good job if they weren't so scary i would probably watch them again (laughs) but i just am scared guys i am very terrified of scary things so this has been a a rough road for me especially the second movie the second movie was so scary was really scary i don't know why it felt well i know why it felt more scary because i was in a theater and it was dark and i was surrounded by it whereas when we watched the first one I was in the comfort of my own home with the lights on and taking notes. Yeah, (laughs) very different experiences. But even that being said, I do think the second one, having watched both in theaters, was scarier. Yeah. And, you know, I was very interested because, like, the the critical consensus for the movie for this second one is very mixed. I liked it, though. I did, too. I was surprised by how much I liked it. I think it drags, definitely in the separate, like, vignette episodes where they go on their separate adventures. But I thought it was emotionally impactful. I loved the characters. I loved the way they tied it back into the first one, and the final confrontation was really satisfying. Um, So, yeah, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I feel like they handle a lot of aspects of the characters well and better than the book. They tie up these character arcs where it feels like they have closure. They're dealing with the trauma of their past and they are dealing with it in an interesting way in the future. Um, Whereas in the book, I feel like a lot of characters, some of them had more, some of them had less. It was very uneven. For a book that is over 1,100 pages, I feel like there should be no lack of character development. Yeah. But I felt a frustrating lack of character development for a lot of them. And I got to say, the movies not including the horrifying uh, children's sex in the sewer gives a lot of points to the movies. That's true, because the, the book, that was just such... A terrible thing to have near the end. Yeah. When you want to just be experiencing like the conclusion, the good feeling conclusion of the story. Mm -hmm. And then you have to read that part. It's so terrible. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of shocked that I'm saying the movies. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed the book for the most part. I did, too, in its own way. Yeah. But got to go where my heart's telling me to go. Yep. Go with the movies. My heart's telling me movies. Yeah. So that's it. It's wow. the movies. It's the movies. Good. <laughs> <laughs> lightning? Let, yeah, let's do lightning round. Okay. Thanks to the power of editing, no one knows it's been two days since we said let's do lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> much right time now, has passed. I know. <laughs> so uh, first for the lightning round, I just wanted to say that uh, since in, in that two-day period, I actually learned a little bit more about the movie and found out that they actually did some CGI de-aging on the children. Oh, really? In the past parts. Uh, so including like Finn Wolfhard and like the kids, because like a lot of them grew really tall. And so they also had to uh, uh, do audio adjustments to their voice to make them sound a little higher. And apparently this is when some people said they had problems with the CGI. They noticed this. Oh, I didn't notice. I didn't either. Like I yeah. knew they were older, but yeah. I couldn't tell they were like doing anything CGI with them. Mm-hmm. But some people I, I guess noticed, or maybe they just knew. And so it was annoying, but yeah, 
But yeah, I also read that the kid who played Ben, young Ben, uh-huh. grew like nine inches. Oh my God. Like between filming the oh, movies. That's crazy. Yeah, which you could definitely tell he was like a lot taller compared to Beverly. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was very interesting. Uh, so one thing I want to mention is that throughout this whole book, Stephen King talks about nipples so much. <laughs> Like, it's so much. And I'm only going to give you, like, a few examples, but there's so much more. Um, One of the first examples in the book is they're talking about Stan Uris's wife. And he describes her feeling like this weird sensation and her nipples going hard and hurtful. You know, when your nipples get hard and they just start to, like, stab you. They start to ache. (laughs) When, like, like, your feelings are hurt. I'm like, what is happening? It's such a weird way to describe nipples. Okay, move on. There's another scene where Beverly is in the bathroom, and this is when she's 11, remember? Um, And Stephen King describes her nipples as uh, her nipples feeling sharp enough and hard enough to cut paper. Mm. And I'm like, what? Nipples don't get sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what is that? And then there's like another scene when actually adult Beverly is um, fighting off her abusive husband. Yeah. And she talks about like taking off her nightgown and her nipples are like super hard after that, like really intense fight. And I'm like, what What are you even talking about? And then there's another part where adult Ben is at the library and interacts with a girl he says is 17 Mm -hmm. that is working at the library as a student. And he's looking at her nipples because she's not wearing a bra and is like noticing them. Yeah. And I'm just, these are only a few examples of the nipple action in this book. It's so weird. It made me uncomfortable. Please stop talking about nipples, Stephen King. I don't know what's wrong with you. Or at least equal representation. Like, let's talk about some men's nipples at least. I know. Like, men have nipples. This is like such a classic, like, men writing women, like, example that it just. Check out that Twitter, Men Write Women. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Something else I heard that was interesting was that Stephen King had requested that two scenes be in this second film. The one that was in the film was the Paul Bunyan statue coming to life Ah. and attacking uh, Richie. And I mean, I think that was one of the surprising scenes in the movie that was really good. So that was cool. Yeah. The other scene he wanted that he didn't get was the standpipe collapsing ah. during the destruction of Derry. Yeah. And I just liked hearing that because I loved reading that part so much. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like just really descriptive and well-written and like interesting and funny from the stoner's point of view. Yeah. And so I was, I liked hearing that Stephen King liked that scene. And wanted to see it. Yeah, for sure. It's too bad we didn't get it, but also it's not the worst. Yeah, I get why they left out the destruction of Derry. It was like with everything else going on. Yeah. It only would have added to the runtime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So something that I was thinking about when we were recording this episode, and we mentioned earlier in the episode, like Bev killing her dad. But what happens to Beverly's dad in the book? We mm. never find out. Yeah, we don't. So the last thing we hear about her dad is that he's chasing her, literally trying to kill her, possibly rape her. Yeah. Through the town. Yeah. And she barely escapes. And then she just like goes home after like defeating it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like when she comes back as an adult, she doesn't know if her dad is alive or dead. Yeah. So clearly there was a, at some point, a a separation between those two. But like what happened? Did her mom 
like leave her dad and take Beverly to like live somewhere else? Or did she go in the movie? They say that she goes to live with her aunt because in the movie she doesn't have a mom. And then like what happened? Or was he normal when she got back? Did he forget everything that happened because he was kind of possessed by it? Yeah. It is never explained. Because that's a big like her trauma with her dad is a big deal. And kind of knowing obviously what their relationship was like post him like chasing her down the street. Over a thousand pages and we don't find out what happened with her and her dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there should no, there should be no questions left after an over 1100 I was just thinking book. about it and I was like, wait, did I miss something in the book? No, it's just not. It's not talked about. Not addressed. Wow. That's I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it's similar in the movie. They're kind of just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to live with my aunt. And you're like, did you kill him? Like, what happened? Well, yeah. And also. Because then we get like scenes of like Bev holding on to Bill as they ride bikes. Yeah. And it's like, were they together for a time? We have no idea. Because what was this? Because it seemed like that was when they were parting. Yeah. But then I guess we don't know when they met in that and did the blood pact how long after Pennywise that was. I don't know. It was just like the timeline. <laughs> yeah. Was very confusing mm-hmm. in the second movie about their past. Yes. Could have used a little clarification on that. Exactly. Or any clarification in the book at all. Yeah, just like a hint. <laughs> like what you could, have, you could have done it in like five words. I know. You know, it's just a little something. Yeah. But and that's lightning round. That's lightning round. And that's the episode. And that's this whole two part series. Yes. So, wow. This has been so crazy. And it's not over yet. Like we said, um, we're going to do a bonus episode for all our lovely patrons on the 1990s miniseries version of it. So definitely check that out. Get excited for that because this it train is not over. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, no. But yeah, so become a patron if you're interested in that. Yeah. Other than that, If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review if you uh, feel so inclined. It really helps. We've been getting a lot more lately. and It's awesome. It's so great. It's it's so appreciated. Uh, Also, follow us on Twitter, Cover 2 Credits with the number 2. You can email us at CoverToCreditsPod at gmail.com, and the 2 is spelled out the normal way in that one. We're also on Facebook and on Instagram. Definitely check us out. Definitely engage with us. We love hearing from you. Tell us your thoughts on it. Tell us your thoughts on the movies. Tell us your thoughts on anything. We love to hear from you. Yeah, like it's it makes our day when we get messages from listeners. So yeah. don't have hesitate at all. And uh, that's it for us. And we'll see you next episode. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.